so I'm just going to ask a few people to say, to tell us their experience of being, doing Mark in a month. So Mark, you can start. Hey, uh, my name is Mark, so I have to read it. <laughs> yeah, so Mark in a month. Yeah. yeah, so like one thing I'm learning is like, you know, like you, I read the Bible chronologically. It's like this happened and then forget, the, uh, forget what happened and then you go to the next one. You, know, you don't really link ideas. But the whole notion of like the Bible is one continuous um, like book that where the writer is trying to answer different questions is quite eye-opening. So, for example, one thing I learned, for, like uh, it was Mark 4, 51, where, where the Jesus like comes a storm, and then the disciples are like, who is this guy, you know? And then in the next, you know, that's kind of the end of chapter 4. So usually I'll be like, skip, I'm like, okay, that's done. Chapter 5, it's like the, he's healing the demoniac. But then when you read chapter 5, the, demonic, the demon-possessed man will be like, this is the son of the Most High God. The idea is like, who is this guy, son of the Most High? And that's something I wouldn't have realized without looking at it in terms of like a connected whole. It's like the writer is trying to convey something. Yes, it is a kind of historical book, but it's answering like subtle questions. And just that lens is really eye-opening. And it's like, you can get to the heart of what is being communicated. So that's what I learned. Rebecca. My name's not Mark, but <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, I've always struggled with uh, reading the Bible and doing devotional, my devotionals, and I think uh, mostly because it's really hard to get the most out of it without having a structured um, guide or something. And I think that what Andrew uh, taught us, uh, it's really amazing. It's helping me a lot to actually get the message. And having this structure is really, really good for me. And um, I just also wanted to say that, um, as we all know, for the God of uh, the Word of God is alive and active so no matter how many times you read it will have a different application for your life and for that moment that you're going through so yeah it's really amazing thank you, I'm being thank you. elizabeth hi everybody um i'm elizabeth and from the reading of the book of mark so far um i've learned that the book is not outside the context of the entire bible and um, everything is just intertwined and explains the person of Jesus Christ. How that he is a man, but as well divine. And um, this has made a whole lot of difference when it comes to understanding other concepts in the Bible. When you understand the humanity of Jesus and his divinity as well, it's, it feels complex, but you know it makes other concepts easier to grasp. And um, from the book of Mark and understanding how Andrew has been able to explain context, the flow of knowledge, certain stories didn't make sense. When, you know, we were taught growing up back home, would randomly pick a story and just say, this happened. But seeing how it happened, what happened before it, what happened after, now it makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. Vivian. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Vivian. And my takeaway is very similar to what Elizabeth just said. Um, I think two things that um, reading the book so far has done for me is one is really shown me um, is number. I think, I think the first thing is like Mark is really showing Jesus as God, and that's sort of like answering a number of questions for me personally. So on some occasions, you see Jesus um, 
he, in all things, he's upholding the intent of the law, but sometimes it seems as though he's going opposite it. Sometimes it seems as though he's honoring it, but he's still, you know, maintaining the real integrity of like the Old Testament. So for instance, in some instances, he heals somebody and he says, go show yourself to the priest and do the right thing according to the law. And then in some instances where, you know, maybe somebody's ill and needs to be healed on the Sabbath, and then people want Jesus to toe the exact line of the law, but then he says, you know, he heals them despite that. So it's like Jesus is really God. He's, um, he's, he's taking that position as God. So like, you're not looking at him as just like another person, but looking at him as God. So it's like a whole line of continuum from the God of the Old Testament, still the same person here, and then revealing the hearts behind some of those roles. And then the second thing, and final thing that I'm going to share here as well is like, it's really also showing Jesus as man and how he lived as man. So in terms of one would be, you know, there was such a strong dependence and connectedness with God. You would see parts where he separated himself to pray and spend time with God. And then you see how like the things he extols, the kinds of relationships when his family came to draw him out and he says, no, my family are like those that are listening and hearing here. So it's like Jesus as God, Jesus as man, and I'm learning a lot about both. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, a lot of what people have already said, I've really resonated with as well. Um, but I've just been really, really struck with who Jesus is um, and what he shows us um, about what God is like. Um, and so even things like, um, I mean, we're only in chapter sort of six, seven, but like in chapter, in chapter six, he's sending out his disciples to minister on his behalf and extend the kingdom. Um, and just the fact that that God actually, in His nature, wants wants us to participate in His plan, um, and that He actually He gives His disciples responsibility before they've even declared who He really is, um, before they even understand His nature. Um, do you want to talk too? <laughs> um, so yeah, just um, just little aspects like that, and how how Jesus just really He knows what we really really need, um, like the woman who came to him and touched his cloak for healing for ble her bleeding um he not only heals her body but he um he restores her her sense of worth and value and he tries to like um deal with her shame as well as her physical he healing um i'll stop there so that the mic well thank you everybody for your contributions there I love it that I asked them all to just say one sentence about how they're enjoying it, and each of them preaches as a little sermon. So that just shows like how people have been touched by what they've been reading, which is great. Today, I'm going to begin a quick overview of the structure, and then what you've got in your handout, and then I'm going to talk about a problem that came up for me in my reading, and it may have come up for you as well, and I thought, I really need to deal with this, because it's something that, that comes through the book. I'm going to talk about the blindness of the disciples, and I'm going to end by making sure our hearts are not hard and our ears are ready to hear. So, as I said last week, the series of videos is available on uh, bibble.ca, there's no... Um, I in the middle there, bibl.ca slash read. And if you go there, then you will see the mark in a month and you'll be able to watch the videos from the series and also see the handouts and everything that I've been doing in there. So bibl.ca slash read and you can see that resource. I made that, yes.
So uh, let's look then at how Mark fits together. And there are five parts, building each one's building on the next part. So it starts at the bottom there in my picture and builds upwards. And just very briefly, the way it works is that he uses stories. And the stories are very, very effective. And so the stories mark out the sections. The first story starts and ends with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the first followers, and then we have some things happening with the kingdom, and we end with the followers sent out, and John dies. The second one starts and ends with feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000. These remarkable miracles um, mark out this section, and uh, it's, we're going to be referring to those, some of those things today. And then we move on and we see the, the central section, which is really about blindness. Like, are they spiritual, spiritually blind? Do people really see? what? And um, I think this is what you're going to be reading this week. So I'm going to be talking about some of this today. Um, so that's uh, building on those first two levels. We have a blind man receives a sight in two stages. Only two blind people are healed in Mark and these are the two places that mark the beginning and end of these sections. And the section really is about blindness, not just physically, but about whether you really get it. And so it's really nicely marked out like this. And then, so that's, that's uh, the, the middle section, the big revelation. And in this section, Jesus clearly says, what he's going to do. He's going to die and going to be raised from the dead. Then, built on that, we have the temple scene. Jesus visits the temple, finds no fruit, the picture of the fruit tree with no fruit on it, the fig tree, and uh, the parable about no fruit. And then he has some good fruit, but then he says the temple will be destroyed, and actually, I'm going to return, and I am the temple. And uh, so this, this uh, is built on this, and this would have been something very important for the, the Roman audience that originally would have read Mark, because it was written probably in Rome, and to Gentiles, and they would have, oh, so I don't actually have to travel to Jerusalem to the temple all the time to receive God. Jesus, Jesus is the new temple, and uh, this is... Uh, part of the value of this teaching. And so the culmination then is Jesus' death, and it, it begins and ends with anointing. So a woman comes to anoint Jesus. You get the Last Supper and betrayal. You get Jesus dies. Peter denies him. Jesus crucified. And a centurion, a Roman, declares that Jesus is uh, the Son of God. And then it ends with women coming to anoint him again, but he's not there. He's been raised from the dead. And so it's very quick run through the structure there, which you have on your sheets. If you didn't get a sheet, ask afterwards and we'll get you one. We've got some spares. So also it's on, it's on the website. So what I'm going to do then is to look now at the problem of hardening in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. Now, 
I'm really taking you through my own reading now and my own experience of reading Mark and what came up for me. And I had some difficulty with this passage. And so I wanted to share with you what was coming up for me and how I resolved this as I prayed to God and asked for, for light from him. And so Mark 4 reads this, verse 9. And he said, he who has ears to hear had better listen. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And this is particularly the parable of the sower and the four kinds of soil. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that although they look, they may look but not see. And although they hear, they may hear but not understand, so they may not repent and be forgiven. He said to them, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? Whoa, what's happening here? Jesus is deliberately obscuring the message in case they might repent? What's happening? So he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And this passage is actually quoted several times in the New Testament, um, several times, particularly in the book of Hebrews, but also in other places. <clears throat> uh, and this is Isaiah being commissioned at the beginning of his ministry. I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom will I send? Who will go on our behalf? I answered, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell these people, Listen continually, but don't understand. Look continually, but don't perceive. Make the hearts of these people hard. Make their ears deaf and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Their hearts might understand and they might repent and be restored. Do you see the problem I had with that? Did anybody see the problem? If you don't think there's a problem, maybe you can come and explain to me why there's not a problem. But uh, this, this is difficult, and I'm actually going to suggest that there are two problems here. The first is, does, really God, does God really want to stop people repenting? Is this what he wants? So, so he doesn't. So obviously we know that God, God really doesn't. He doesn't want to stop people repenting, but this is the first problem I want to address. The second problem I want to address, is it even fair if it's God's choice, not theirs? You know, if the heart is hardened by God, then it doesn't seem fair because it wasn't their choice. What's going on here? Um, so on the surface, it sounds like God hardens people's hearts to stop them receiving the gospel and repenting. And so I'm going to address this first person, first question first about stopping people repenting. And um, you have to understand that God, to start with, is warning Isaiah, this is going to be tough for you because actually you're not going to see a lot of fruit from your preaching. In fact, most of the people are going to reject your preaching. And so we could, we could put it like this. We could rewrite it like this. Keep preaching. Keep speaking, but um, the results are mostly not going to be good, um, but me, uh, preach, 
preach to these people, but actually as you preach, their hearts are going to get harder. Your preaching is going to make them turn away and be blind. Um, and uh, they might repent and be restored, and they certainly wouldn't want that, would they? So like some sarcasm in his preaching, like, um, to, uh, you're hardening your hearts. Oh, well, because otherwise you might repent and be saved. And really trying to push them very hard to get their attention. And we know that some people did hear Isaiah's preaching, and they did listen, and they were saved through his preaching. So uh, although some people... Many people, most of the people, were just hardened because they wouldn't listen. So I would say that, that the statement about, uh, at the end about not repenting is not designed to stop people repenting. It's designed to really push them and say, look, look if you don't listen, if you're hardened, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to turn. You're not going to be saved. So does that make sense to you? So uh, that's how I would... I would understand that bit about not repenting at the end. Uh, the, the other problem is God cannot hold anyone responsible for something they're not able to do. Would you agree with that? If somebody can't do something, God can't judge them, they're not responsible for it. Uh, so if God has hardened their hearts so they cannot believe, it would be unjust to punish them. Do you agree with that? But it sounds in these passages as if, if God is the one who's initiating these hardenings. And uh, we need to be very clear on this. Um, the, this is about the mystery of God's sovereignty. And there, the first thing is there are two truths that we have to hold in tension, that we have to say both of these things are true, although we, we can't, because we're human, our limitations, we can't figure out how they fit together. But the first one is, God has chosen his people before the foundation of the world. God is sovereign. He has chosen his people. But then, everyone has genuine free will and choice about following God. Everybody, if they didn't, there wouldn't be any um, reason for punishing them if it wasn't, if they didn't freely do it. If they were constrained, it's not their fault. So, so everybody's got genuine free will, yet God has chosen his people who will respond to him. And one illustration I heard is that these are like two parallel tracks, two railway lines stretching off into the horizon. One is one truth, and the other is the other truth. And we can't see how these come together, but God is infinite. An infinite distance, the truths touch. So I've got a mathematician who's smiling over there. <laughs> so, so at infinity, the, the, tru the, the truth actually come together in God. And uh, I, you may find that visual useful or not, but uh, from our perspective, they're, they're both true. And the Bible clearly teaches both of them. We're loved and we're chosen by God before the foundation of the world, yet there is genuine free choice and free will, and we're to preach the gospel to people and say, you can choose. You have to choose to follow God, and that's absolutely true. Now, going back then to the question of hardening, the question of like, what's happening in some, does God harden people's hearts? All of these 
references in Isaiah and in Jesus and other places are all coming back to one original story, and that's the story with Pharaoh at the Exodus. And you might remember that there were 10 plagues at the Exodus. And you might remember that each one Pharaoh decided to start with, at least some of them, he said, okay, you can go, and then changed his mind, and it says he hardened his heart. And to start off with, with these plagues, these incredible miracles, Pharaoh accepted them and then hardened his heart. And then um, uh, he hardened his own heart, but then later on it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I would say it's not by forcing Pharaoh into sin. God would never force anyone to sin. But God withholding his softening power and allowing Pharaoh's hardness to grow. So this is what I would say. When it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, doesn't mean God forced Pharaoh into unbelief, because God is not the author of sin. But God allowed that to happen by just restraining his softening power, which caused the hardening. This is a very difficult topic, but we're forced to deal with it when we're reading Mark, because Jesus is quoting from these. And actually, I think there's a value in this when we get to, to see this, these truths. Um, and, and if I could give an analogy of what I think is happening in this story and in, in Isaiah and in Mark, that um, let's take an ima imagination. You see someone with a car at the side of the road, the guy is stopped, and you go up to this person and you say, would you like some help? Say, no, I'm all right. I don't need any help. You can leave. Um, but you can see that they're in difficulty, and so you say to them, I fix cars for a living. I won't charge you for fixing your cars. I'm willing to help you right now. And they say, no, you can go. Now, you've got a choice there. You can say, okay, I'm going to go. Um, if I keep on at them, they, they're probably going to get even more annoyed with me. But there's a chance they might, they might turn and let me help them. You say, I can see exactly what's wrong with it. Let me just help you with it. No, it's all right. I'm, I'm good. Uh, are you absolutely sure you don't want any help? I am totally sure you can go. So their heart is getting hardened. And the fact you've kept on with this message makes their heart harder, doesn't it? It makes them more and more annoyed with you. Nevertheless, you need to do that partly for your own sake. You know, have I really done that? You know, did I just leave too quickly when I could have helped them. Part, but partly because they might have changed. And this is what's going on, I think, in Jesus' ministry. He's got some very, very hard-hearted people, and he's preaching to them a kind of a tough message. Look, your hearts are hard, but he doesn't let up doing it because some of them are going to respond and some of them are going to get hardened. The same message causes some people to get harder and some people to get to get saved. So by continuing to preach, you are actually hardening them, at least 90% of them. Do you get that? So when it says he's hardening their hearts, he's doing it because it's the only hope they have and they might decide to turn. So that is, um, that's my analogy, um, continuing to ask them. So so that's my second point, the problem of hardening in this chapter. What I want to move on now is into the fact that the disciples seemed to be hardened. And then I'll look at our own response. Now, this is really curious because 
the passage I quoted at the beginning in Mark 4, the parable of the sower, they asked him, you know, can you give us an explanation? And he says, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. He said to them, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? Sounds kind of tough, doesn't it? I think Jesus is pushing them because he wants them to push in and to really think. Um, and then he goes on later in this chapter. Um, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, <clears throat> let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now that last verse doesn't sound quite fair, does it? What's it talking about? <clears throat> So I've got a little example for you here. Um, what I think he's saying is that if you give some attention, then you'll get more back again. And the more you give attention, the more you'll get. And so this that you have in verse 25 is attention, is listening. So here's my, here's my little example. So here's a package here. And on the front it says, are you interested in this information, Andrew's favorite food? Okay, so here's his in this folder here. Um, are you interested in this information? And you think, well, maybe. Oh, I can't get this zip undone. Oh, oh. So you've got a choice here. Are you, are you really interested or are you not? Okay, well, anyway, you persist and you unzip it. And you pull it out. Oh, it's a chocolate bar. And it says, please take this and enjoy. So this is a reward for persisting in the question. You not only get the answer, but you get much more than you expected. So this is what it is that Jesus is saying. When has anyone ears to hear, let him listen. Persist and you'll be rewarded. There's more. And as you open it up, more will be given to you. And so actually, <clears throat> although Jesus thinks they should have understood, he explains the parable to them. And they wouldn't have got that had they not persisted in wanting to know. And so here is a key principle here in Mark. Those who want more, more will be given to them. Those who persist in asking, those who want to hear and understand will get more. <clears throat> and uh, this plays out in in stories in Mark. And I'm going to take you quickly through some of the stories where this idea here about if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen, this plays out in this book. <laughs> and there are three places where the disciples seem to be having trouble really getting it. They're like, their hearts are hard, their ears are dull, they can't hear it. And interesting, each of the three of the three boat scenes in Mark. Here's the first one. Stilling the storm. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this 
that even the wind and sea obey him. So this is the first one, and Jesus says, have you got, have you got no faith? What, what's going on here? And challenges them here about, about their perception of him. The second one is the other storm where he's walk, Jesus is walking on the water towards them. Uh, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. They ju- Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, you know, from five loaves and two fish. He'd just done that. And their understand, their hearts are hardened, it says. They didn't get it that here was somebody doing things so incredibly supernatural. Why are they surprised he can walk on the water? Why are they astounded he can walk on water? Uh, and then the third one is another two chapters later, Mark 8. Here they're in the boat and they discover, the disciples discover they forgot to bring the bread along with them. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you've no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He just fed, done the second feeding of the the, the large number of people. Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And so he's pushing them. And I felt in these stories, like, what's happening? Do I need to be pushed? And I think, yes, I do need to be pushed. I do. If the disciples need to be pushed, my faith needs to be pushed. What is it that I don't understand, Jesus? Please show me what I don't understand. Um, He did this because he loved the disciples. He sounds a bit harsh, but like he's doing it because he loves them so passionately. And he he just wants them to grow in this. And they're taking so long to do it. Now, those are the three stories I've shown you. And uh, I don't know how many, how many have we read those so, so far of those? We've just done two of them, haven't we? Is that right? Yeah. So um, in between the stories, Mark is giving us some miracles, which I think are exactly on this. They're addressing this issue of, of hearing and receiving. And if you, if you, if you hear, if you, if you hear what you get, more will be given to you. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of this. Legion was cleansed from evil spirits, um, and yet the people in the town wanted him, Jesus to leave. Like, don't they get it? Here's a man who's, who's healed this, this person who was so, so under such evil control, and you want Jesus to leave. So these people, their ears were hard. Then the next story, a woman who touched Jesus healed from an issue of blood. Like she was so determined to follow him, even in a a pressing crowd, she managed to get through and touch him. Here's the opposite. And she got the prize. She got the prize. She understood. She listened. She got the prize. 
Then we get the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, who has got so much to lose from following Jesus because like synagogue rulers, all the other ones are very much anti-Jesus. And he comes and pleads for his daughter uh, to to be healed. And then she dies, but they don't give up and Jesus raises her from the dead. And so this is like incredible um, result from having some hunger there. But then he goes to his own hometown and he's not accepted in even in his own hometown. And then he feeds 5,000 from two, five loaves and two fish. <clears throat> so this is like here, this is a, a sign that they should have been receiving. Like, who is this person that can do this? Then Jesus, we hear Jesus leaves and goes to Tyre, a Gentile country. There's a Gentile woman, and it's quite an interesting story. She persists in wanting her son to be healed, and Jesus like seems to be pushing her away. And actually, he's, he's testing her, letting her push forward. Letting, and in the end, she gets everything she, she, she's asked for because she's persisting and she's hearing with her ears and her heart is not hardened. And then he feeds 4,000 again, another sign of giving them something to hear. So these, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to suggest to you, as you're reading through Mark this week and you're going to be reading about the blind people uh, healed, and you're going to be hearing stories. And I'm going to suggest to you that running under all of Mark is this question: Do you have ears to hear? Like, are you hearing? Are you really getting this, Jesus? Like, how are you going to respond? This is how these people responded to Jesus. But how are you going to respond right now to Him? And so, in each of these stories, you need to put yourself in there and say, like, how am I in my life responding to to Jesus? And so, uh, I I want to. Uh, just uh, pull this together now as we've, we've looked at the structure, we've looked at the problem of hardening, we've looked at the blindness of the disciples. I'd like to really ask the question, are our hearts hard? Are, ear, are our ears ready to hear? What can we do to make sure that they are not? So I'm going to suggest then growing our ears to hear. Jesus puts pressure on them, but does not stop his intense love towards them. And Jesus might be putting pressure on us to grow, and sometimes that can be tough. But we have to see that the most loving thing that he can do for us is to actually give us growth. And that might be tough at times, as it was for the disciples. Um, He won't relent because he loves them so much. Um, and he'll, he'll question, he'll say, why are you so afraid? He'll say to them, do you still not believe? Is your heart not hardened? And I think we can ask this question to ourselves. We can say, like, am I ever afraid? Do I ever have worries? Do I ever have concerns? Um, and imagine, like, Jesus saying this to you. Why are you so afraid, Andrew? Like, why are you concerned about this? What's the problem here? Don't... Do not believe, is your heart hardened? And it's a, he's, he loves me so much that he's pushing me to grow in those areas. And uh, I'm going to jump forward to Mark 9 just to, to challenge us the last scripture of today. 
Though they brought the boy to him, his father says, if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you're able, if you're able, he said, if you're able, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I want that to be our prayer today, this morning. And I'm going to pray this for us in just a moment. This is our cry to God. Uh, I believe, help my unbelief. All of us, I think, fall short of where we should be in our belief, but we need to respond. And this is my last slide here where I'm trying to, to summarize our response to what we are to do here. What would Jesus say to you about your fears and your choices right now in your life? If Jesus was there and was watching you, what would he say? None of us can see and hear as well as we could. All of us could grow in our seeing and our hearing. And we could grow in our ability to trust Jesus. And you know, God so loves it when you trust him. He so loves it. There's nothing that Jesus loved more than we, when people trust him. And we just need to cry, I believe, I trust you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Help me to grow in this. So let's pray, shall we, and just bring this to God. Lord God, we thank you that you're challenging us this morning. We thank you that you're pushing us this morning. We thank you that you're not content just to leave us just sitting where we are, but you want us to grow in you. Lord, we pray that to each one of us here, you will open our eyes to see where we can grow. Lord, open our ears and give us the faith to, to push forward into where you're calling us. Lord, we believe you. Lord, we trust you. We believe that you died on the cross to save us from sin. We believe that we will be with you forever in eternity. But Lord, we have so, such a weak faith. We cry to you, Lord, that as we live this life, we will grow. Help us, Lord, to grow. Help us in our unbelief. Give us ears to hear. Make our hearts be soft. Give us eyes to see your beauty and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.